Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Taste of victory. It's delicious. Oh, look at that. Oh. Is that going to be distracting for anybody? There is a football game on today. Okay, we'll move on. So, <laughs> so when it comes to a diet and nutrition, I am a snacker. Gummy bears, candy. Uh, you can ask Hannah. I don't make good decisions when it comes to just eating good, healthy food without help. And she's my help. So God gave me uh, Hannah, and actually I know where she got this from. It's from her mother-in-law. Hannah is what I would call a covert operator who clandestinely infiltrates my diet with healthy stuff. I'll be eating a delicious bowl of chili that she made, and I'll say, Hannah, this is, this is delicious. This, this ground beef is fantastic. And she'll be like, it's not ground beef. It's cabbage. And I'll be like, how did you do that? It's amazing. I don't, even know if cab- I don't even know if God made cabbage to taste that good, but she'll figure it out. And then, but it, it adds up after a while. It kind of gets a little frustrating. I'll be enjoying a plate full of chocolate brownies. I'll be... I'll be neck deep into chocolate brownies, and, uh, and I'll be halfway through the, the plate of them, and Hannah, and I'll be like, this is a delicious chocolate brownie, and she'll be like, it's not chocolate. It's black beans. I'm like, that's disgusting. I hate these things. She just will sneak it in there, but I need help with my decisions, with my diet. That's the way it has to go. Now, making decisions in our life is not that easy with uh, other things. You can't have people force stuff onto you that's good for you. You sometimes have to make the call. You gotta make the decision. And when people come to me for advice or in the church or our leaders here, or pastors, oftentimes they're coming because they're trying to find out uh, the moral implications of their decision. So is it, a good, is, it, is it good or is it evil, the decision I should make? What does the Bible say, they'll often ask. In fact, in many ways, this is really what they're asking. Is it sin or not? Is this decision I'm going to make, is it sin or not? What are the moral implications? Uh, maybe if you don't go to church, you might ask this question sometimes. Is it legal or not? Not a bad question to ask. But here's the deal with both of these. Both of those, you, you can do a lot of things that are not morally evil and, or are not illegal that will kill you. You could decide to take a stroll through a park in Appleton, Wisconsin in the middle of winter, uh, 40 below wind chill uh, for an hour. You could do that in cargo shorts and a t-shirt. And uh, maybe, the, maybe the fashion police would arrest you with that. But certainly it's not illegal. It's also not morally bad but it's not gonna be good for you. In fact, I would argue most of life's decisions are often not, is it sin or not? Is it evil or not? Is it legal or not? Most of life's decisions are this. Is it wise? What's wise? 
In fact, very often, before you make the really bad moral decision, there's been a whole bunch of unwise decisions that, that led you to that place where you were so vulnerable and susceptible to making the bad moral decision. But it was mostly this, unwise decisions. And if we can learn to get really good at not making this, the unwise decisions part, we could really prevent a lot of these big, bad, hairy, ugly, unethical, immoral decisions. Because so much of it is a matter of being wise. Now here's the deal. Uh, as a, a person who's here today, maybe you're watching online, you're spiritually undecided, you've not signed up to follow Jesus. You've not surrendered your will to his leadership. Here's the deal, you're off the hook for what I'm about to say. You don't, this, you don't have to do this. But here's the bummer, if you're a Christian, and you've decided to surrender leadership to Jesus in your life, if you're watching online, if you're sitting here today and that's you, you have a moral obligation to be wise. God has commanded you to be careful and to not be a fool. So you actually do have a sin or not sin issue if you willfully choose to make decisions in your life and throw care to the wind and have want nothing to do with wisdom or you just know it's unwise but you don't care. That's a moral problem for you if you're a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, you can be as foolish as you want. But like any commandment from God, it's for you. God doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't need anything from you. Remember, God is God. He's fine without you. But he loves you, so he gives you commandments to help you find and navigate the best path for, best path for life. This is how valuable wisdom is, okay? I want you to get in your mind for a second. Just think for a second. What's the one thing in 2023 that you really desire? When you think about this year, man, maybe it's that relationship. It's that wedding ring, it's that kid, it's that family you wanna build, it's that house, it's that job, it's that corner office, it's that number on the paycheck, maybe it's that car, that Ford Bronco, the big one, not the little sport one. I'm just, maybe that's you. Whatever it is, imagine getting in that thing, getting in that corner office, having that house, getting in that car, sitting in it, and you're like, I got it. This was the year I got it. Wisdom, better than that. Better than that. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter eight. This is how wisdom is described by Solomon. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire in 2023 can compare with her. Nothing. You want this. This is, your, this is your greatest desire of the year. So we ought to talk about it. And particularly today, what I want to do is I want to talk about wisdom in the context of decision-making, making good decisions. Some of you have some big decisions that are going to come to pass this year. They're coming due in 2023. You ought to be asking the question, what is the wisest not, not necessarily morally. I mean, that's, that's a good question. You should ask, don't stop asking what's moral or immoral. But, but very often, your decisions are what's wise this year. So let's do that. I'm going to give you three things. And this isn't the summary of Proverbs on wisdom, decision-making stuff. There's more to it. But these are just three I think that are going to help you. The first is this. This is the first thing Proverbs will tell you. 
you ought to, you ought to assume your gut is guilty. It's number one. You have to have a modus operandi, a, a default autopilot mode where your instincts, your gut, is guilty until proven innocent. Some of you have never questioned your thinking. You know, how many times I sit across from people and they say, you know, I just did what I thought was best in the moment. I made the decision I thought was best. That might be your problem, is you never question your own way that you think, what you think looks right. You don't let the Bible offend your thinking. You don't let the Bible offend your feelings. You don't let people who love God and love you tell you you're wrong. The moment they do, they're deleted on Facebook. You leave the church, they're out. And that's, listen, telling people they're wrong is a vulnerable thing to do, and it can go wrong. Some of, all of us probably have been on the receiving end of somebody doing that for manipulative reasons and doing it poorly. I get that. We all have scar tissue from that. But you know what's really dangerous? Finding yourself in a place where no one can tell you you're wrong. Here's the level of distrust you have to have for your own intuition on the way you think you should live. You want to know the degree to distrust you should have? You want to know how serious of an issue this is? This is Proverbs 16 on it. Here it is. There is a way that seems right to you. It seems right. You're like, this is it. This is the direction I should go. Let me tell you how wrong sometimes you'll be in, these, in, in this. This is the possibility of just how wrong you can be. But in the end, it leads to death. But in the end, it's, it's the way of death. That's how off. It's not just a little bit off. It's not just five degrees off. You could literally be pursuing something that you think is going to give you life, and you're literally pointed in the opposite direction toward death. That's how off we can be. That's the level of distrust we ought to have. I've shared this before. Do you know how many times my three-year-old son begs me, begs me, crying, just sobbing, convinced I hate him because I will not give him the thing he's asking for? And do you know what the legitimate reason is as to why I have to tell him no? Do you know what it is very often? Because Elias, which is his name, it will electrocute you. That's why daddy can't give you that. You will be maimed. Okay? You can't have it. That, but he's crying. He wants it so bad he thinks it's the source of all goodness in his life. Listen, the gap between his three-year-old intellect and me as a 36-year-old guy is way smaller than the gap between your intellect and the infinite God. So why are you surprised if most of your prayer requests is God saying no? Why are you surprised by that? Listen, there will be a long list of prayers that you get to heaven and you thank God that he said no to. Lord, thank you, you didn't give me that job, that move to that town, marry that person, have that net worth. Lord, you know, there's all these different ways that your life could go and maybe one day you'll get a chance to see what your life would like, look like had he said yes. Sometimes on this side of glory, you get to see that. Something happens and you go, whoa, I dodged one. But there's a thousand of those you'll never see. So here's one way to help you do this. This, is, this helps me. You have to recognize this. Your, your brain is a really lousy salesperson. 
You ever, you ever been to a, a, you know, if you buying cars or buying something and there's a salesperson there and they're, they're giving you all the reasons why this is for you. I really care about you. You want this, right? Well, here's what you really need. These are your goals in life. Well, this is what you should buy. And all they're doing is just trying to close, 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 right? Act now, sign here. That's their agenda. They'll never say that. But they will, they will throw all these other reasons and justifications as to why you need to buy this now, today. Don't leave. You're going to miss the sale. Sign here. You know that? And you can hear it. You can, you can smell it. It's a sales pitch. Sometimes it's laughable. Here's the deal. You will believe your worst sales pitches. You'll, you'll, you'll run all of these tapes in your brain to get your heart to go in a direction or even to submit to your heart, the desire of your heart, your brain will come up with all kinds of reasons why you probably should do it. But if you say those out loud to a friend or a coach or a mentor who meets these two qualifications, they love you enough to tell you the truth, even if it stings, and they love God. They love you and they love God. And if you're willing to do this, this is one way to help you with this. Give the sales pitch to them. I hear this, you know, when I was in youth ministry, I would talk to a lot of students who'd come back from college and I would ask them how it's going. And sometimes they would share something like this. Okay, this is sometimes the story I would get. You know, Pastor Brian, um, my first year of college, I went to a lot of parties, wild parties, wild parties. But I felt like I had to go there as a Christian because there were lost people there. <laughs> and I needed to know what their experience was like in order to relate to them. I'd become all things to all people. You know, they would, they would just give me these lines. And you're laughing because you can hear it, right? You can hear it. But we will do this to ourselves all the time. And we'll believe it. You know why Jeremiah puts it like this? Your heart is deceitful above all else. It's deceitful above all else. That doesn't mean dishonest. Dishonest is like a bold-faced lie. That's not what your heart's going to do. No, it's going to deceive. That's different than dishonesty. Your heart will deceive you. It will be sneaky, and it'll be, it is deceitful above all else, meaning nobody else can convince you of the sales pitches that you and your heart will can be convinced of inside. You know what justification is when you're trying to justify a, a sin or justify a bad or unwise decision? You know what justifying, another word for that is? Just a lion. You're just lying to yourself sometimes as to why you need to do this or that. That's one way for you to have what's called a process of proving your gut innocent, going through the process. Talk about what your instincts are telling you with other people who love God and love you. They love God. Their life is submitted to his leadership. There's not just emotions. They actually submit to his leadership. They love him, and they love you. Give him the sales pitch. See what happens. Number two, you have to have some humility. You have to have some humility to recognize there's something at work in you permanently. It's the humility to work on your drift problem. When it comes to making decisions in life and, and charting a course and going down a path, you have to recognize that there is a constant, permanent drift in your life, drifting you away from the path that you know is wise. None of us intend to develop addictions. 
None of us intend to go our whole life and never write the book. Now, we all intend, one day I'm going to write the book. We all intend to live a certain disciplined life. But your intentions don't determine your direction. Your decisions do. The problem with decisions, though, is we, don't, we sometimes lack the humility to realize that even in our decision-making, we will drift. Let me put to you like this. Little decisions that you make every day are impacted by one big drift problem that will eventually lead to a destination problem. And it's permanent. You will always be fighting this. The most godly people I know, as they've grown and matured, in my view, to this, like, this status of godliness surrendered to God, the most godly people I know are increasingly and more distrustful of their own willpower and their own strength to avoid temptation the higher up they go in their maturity. I hope I am less confident in my willpower, in my strength, when it comes to temptation or drifting. I hope I'm less confident in myself when I'm 70 than when I'm 36. I hope I grow every day in being more and more distrustful that I can handle it, that I won't drift. The day you make a plan for your life or set a course on some direction you want to go and the decisions you want to go to get there, the day you decide to make that plan and you're convinced you're not going to struggle, you're not going to worry about drifting from it, is the day you're most vulnerable. That's the first day of your most vulnerable day. This is the way Proverbs puts it. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes. Mark out a straight path. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Do you see it? Do you see it? Look straight ahead. Fix, fix, fix. Look, look ahead. Mark out, mark out, mark out. Stay on the path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet. There is a constant drift written in between the lines of those words there. The, the author of whoever wrote this knows that every step you take, every step on the path will be attacked every step of the way. So have the humility to recognize that. Prepare for it. And every day, have a humility to say, Lord, I'm going to need help with this. The one way I would do this, and this is, some of you have never thought about this before, but perhaps consider building a prayer team. Build a prayer team. And I know your first thought is, what I do is not that important. I'm not, I'm not some missionary going to the western you know, bush of Africa. I'm not, I'm not going to the remote jungles of the Amazon to tell people about Jesus. I'm, I'm just a barista. I'm just a, a carpenter. I'm just a, you know, I'm just a business person. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. You, know, you might say that, and you might think, I don't, I don't have any kind of mission in my life that is so significant that I would have to like, come up with a list of people to pray over me and then email them updates or any of that stuff. Like That's not me. I want to tell you something. People around you will never value your mission more than you do. They, the moment you start realizing just how incredibly important the call is on your life to be that parent, that friend, that coworker, the moment you realize the value of your life is only, only then will people around you begin to realize it. And let me tell you how valuable it is, okay? Imagine, you, let's say you work at a place and the CEO calls you 
and like, hey, I need you to meet with me in my office. I have a job I want you to do. The president of your organization, let's say, the, the, let's say a congressman calls you. Let's say, let's say a, a high-ranking cabinet official in the U.S. government calls your cell phone and says, I have a job for you. You think that'd be important, right? You think like, hey, look, look, I'm, I need to stop whatever I'm doing. I've got I've to set everything else aside. This is now the most important thing. Can I tell you something? The creator of the universe, God Almighty. It's that big. Has a calling on your life. Have some respect for the weight of that call and have some humility to say, I cannot do this without people praying for me. I need prayer. It's both a respect for the significance of what God's called you to do, the path that he has you on, that he's maybe opening your eyes this year to see that you're supposed to walk this path. He's got a vision for your life. Have some respect for the nature of who's making that phone call to you. And have some humility to say, I can't do this by myself. This is a team sport. I need people praying for me. So here's what I would invite you to do. Go home today. There's no football to watch. Well, maybe there's one game. Go home today and make a list of some people that love God. And they love you. And then reach out to them and say, hey, listen, I'm putting together a prayer team. I'm going to update you monthly or quarterly or I'll text you a, this group when I need it. But would you consider being on my prayer team? And, and listen, say no if you can't do it. I, I, look me in the eye and say, I will commit regularly to praying for you. And if you can't do it, that's okay. We're still friends. But I just am looking for this team, which is a different thing, which is people who are called to pray for me. Yeah, yeah, what are you doing? I'm, I'm following the call of God in my life. Whatever that looks like. That's my path that I've marked out. That's what I've got my eyes fixed on. It's a big deal. You have a big call in your life. You ought to invite people into it to help you not get sidetracked. Number three, the last thing. Care more about your motives. Listen, I, I know some of you right now, I want you to think for a second. Think about the big gnarly decision you got to make this year. You know it's coming at some point this summer. You're going to have to make a decision on this issue. You're going to have to choose where you're going to work. You're going to have to choose this relationship. You're going to have to choose where you're going to live. You've got to choose how you're going to raise your kids. You've got a big decision that's going to have big impact. Think about that. Just get that in your head right now, whatever that is. Whatever that big decision is, know this. And, and I, let me just say, most of your big decisions, like I'm describing, it's not like, it's not like uh, should I be a drug mule to Mexico or open an orphanage in Calcutta? What, what is your will, Lord? I don't know what you to do. You want me to, it's not, that's not what our big decisions are, right? Our big decisions are like, they're pluses and minuses on both sides. And they have big impact on our life. Okay, get that decision in your head. Recognize this, and my dad used to say this all the time, and it's so good, it's, it's so simple, but so profound. Listen, you're going to have to make a decision on it. Time is something, he would say this all the time, time is something God invented, meaning you're going to run out of it. 
That's his problem, not yours, okay? He made it that way. If, if you don't like it and he doesn't like it, it doesn't matter. That's God's problem. He made time to start and eventually it passes. So here's what's going to happen. At some point, you're going to have to make a decision. Ready for this? Because not making a decision is a decision. That's a decision. You're going to have to make one. And you may get to a point where it's not exactly crystal clear on a big thing. It's not crystal clear. Should I do this or that? Maybe you're 60, 40, 70, 30. You're just, it's not perfectly clear in the windshield. And you're going to be waiting the night before. You're going to be falling asleep because you know tomorrow morning it's 8 a.m. You got to sign that paper. And you don't know. And it's big. Here's what I want you to know. You may not know what the outcomes of that decision will be. But you can know your motives. And you can know your motives. And here's what's so important. That's all God looks at. The world, your family, your friends, your coworkers, they're going to look on the outside. But God looks at the heart. This is the way it goes. Proverbs 16. All the ways of a man are clean in their own sight. So they look at what they're doing. They can justify it. Oh, well, I made that because of this. Or if you really understood why. You know, we can, people can see things on the outside. And they can justify things on the outside. That's what we look. We look on the outside. The ways, right? The ways. But God is over here. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at the motives. And so... Here's what you can do. You can say, Lord, in the eyes of people, this may or may not go good. But right now in my heart, my goal is to glorify you with my job, with this business, with this relationship. And even if I make a dumb decision, even if I make the, pick the wrong thing, Lord, I want you to know I did it for your glory and I did it for you. My dad used to say this all the time. It's so good. Outcomes, outcomes, how things are going to go. That's God's department. That's not your department. You don't worry about that. That's his problem to solve. Your department is obedience. Another word for that is caring about what God cares about. That's your motives. Your department is right here. So you ought to take some time to search, search through this and deal with this. And at the end of the night, when you have to sign on the dotted line, when it's time to go, when you have to make a decision, and not making decisions a decision, you can say this prayer. This is maybe the prayer for your year this year. Is God, I don't know if this is the right call from an outcome standpoint. I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't know if I'm going to lose my shirt over this business. But I know this. This is what I know is I want to glorify you and honor you with my life. That's my heart. And that's, I know, where you're looking. And so, Lord, no matter what happens, even if you make a big U-turn in my life, if you slam the door shut, or you make it so uncomfortable for me that I have to do a U-turn, I will do it because my goal and my motive is you. It's for you. Look, I have made a ton of decisions that people look at on the outside and they go, boy, Brian, that was really godly. It was really wonderful and humble of you. But my motives was that. I just, wanted, I just wanted to look good. And you know what God's looking at? He's over here looking at my motives. And that's what he sees. And in God's economy, it's a zero. 
But I've made a ton of decisions over here that the world looks at and says, Brian, that was dumb. That was some dumb leadership. Why'd you do that? Why are we doing this? This looks ridiculous. But I know in my heart of hearts, I was just trying to honor you, Lord. I was trying to glorify you with my life. And in God's economy, that's all he's looking at. You know, um, I got to believe in a room this size, there's some big decisions that you're weighing. And in many ways, the biggest question you're asking about that decision, the biggest holdup is this. What if my obedience this year, what if I say yes to something? What if I do something for God's glory to make much of him and it looks like a failure? What if I end up looking like a failure in the eyes of people? My ways look like a failure. You know, uh, one of the things that took me the longest uh, to get over in preparing for this role, um, not as a senior pastor, but even in ministry, 2011, I started as a youth pastor here. And one of the things that really was just took me so long to work through was the fact that I grew up here. And I love I loved you guys. I, you, you raised me. This is family for me. These aren't just some, this isn't just a job that I'm taking halfway across the country. These are my friends. My, my dad, my mom, they both work here. It's family, both metaphorically and literally. What if I fail? You know, what if I just, not, not so much morally, what if I just make a bunch of dumb, unwise decisions as a leader and I screw stuff up? Man, I love these people. Lord, I don't want to do that. I mean, what if I just... And you know how God speaks? He does it through his scripture. Maybe he's doing it right now in your life. He's speaking to you through his word. But God, God, God spoke to me. He, he brought a bunch of passages of scripture to memory as I'm reading, as I'm preparing to make a decision whether or not to take the job as a youth pastor here or just stay working in the business world. And this is what he basically said. He says, Brian, what if I do? What if I call you? to go into a job, into anything. And it's going to mean that you look ridiculous. You, you do stuff that people just think is dumb. You look dumb. But it's my call in your life. Would you do it? Would you do it? And then I thought back to, thought back to Jesus on the cross. And, and, the, 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 uh, and the one phrase he yells out in front of the whole crowd, he yells, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want you to think for a second how that was received by two different audiences, okay? First, his followers, they just heard him say that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what they're thinking? What, what, what do you mean? You, you told us you were God's man. We, we thought you were the Messiah. And now you're admitting that you've been forsaken by God? Oh, what a failure. Think about the Pharisees, the second group that heard that. They just heard him yell, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know what they probably yelled back? We've been trying to tell you that the whole time. Finally, you admit it. See, he admitted it. God forsook him. He was a, he was a heretic. He was a blasphemer. And that's why God forsook you. Victory for the enemy in their minds. And in that moment, in the eyes of the world, what looked like a failed, miserable disaster, in that moment, the most victorious moment in human history, 
All of our sins are being vanquished. Satan is being defeated in that moment. So I, I heard God ask, Brian, what if I call you to look like a failure? Would you do it? And man, after getting that picture in my head, I was so motivated. I was like, Lord, if you call me to be a failure, I will be the best dumpster fire you've ever hired. And he was like, well, let's not get carried away here. You know, that's how I am. I take everything to the next level. But maybe for you this year, you're going to do stuff this year, and it's, you're going to fail. You're going to make a big decision, and those outcomes, which are not your department, will not go good. I want you to sleep good at night, knowing your motives is all God's looking at. That's what he's weighing. I want you to sleep good at night, knowing you're not that big, that God could change your path. He can do stuff. He's God. You're not that big. You can't send him spiraling into plan B. How big do you think you are? And then I want you to remember. I want you to remember, we're, we're going to take communion here in a minute. So if you want to get that ready, if you want to get your communion chalice ready, I want you to remember that's what communion's about. I want you to remember something. That when it's all said and done, it's not about how wisely you lived. It's not about that. It's about how wisely Jesus lived. Think about how wise he is. But more than that, think about this, how loving he was. Can we put that verse, Proverbs chapter 4, back up on the screen behind me? Fix your eyes. Can we put this back up? Chapter 4. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. You know what? We're going to get sidetracked this year. You've already been sidetracked. You're going to have bad motives. You're going to not be able to keep your, your eyes focused on Jesus. But you know what communion's about? You know what we remember? It's that in the middle of the Garden of Gethsemane, when he got on his knees and he begged the Father, he said, Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass. Let the, the wrath and the pain and the suffering of the cross, let it pass. But you know what Jesus did? He fixed his eyes. He fixed his eyes. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And let me tell you something about eyes. Feet follow eyes. Feet follow your eyes. And Jesus' eyes, where was he looking? He was looking at that cross, the middle one between the two criminals that has your name on it. It's got your and my name on it. But he fixed his eyes. He loved God, the Father. And he loved you. He loved you. So he got up on that cross. He took that place, which has got your name on it, but he got on it. He paid the price for you. Because you're going to drift. He knows you're going to drift. He knows you're not going to stay on the path. You're going to get sidetracked. But being a Christian isn't about being the wisest. It's about, it's about being loved and forgiven by Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something. When you fix your eyes on that, there's hope. No matter what your decision, no matter what the outcome is, there's hope. So can we remember that today, church? Let's remember together the night before Jesus was crucified. He took the bread and he broke it and he gave it. He broke it and he gave it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Let's remember his brokenness and what he gave together.
Likewise, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood, the blood of the new covenant, which will be poured out for the sins of many. Let's remember the blood of the covenant this morning together. In a moment, we're going to worship. Why don't we stand together as you're able? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you it doesn't depend on us to be so wise and navigate every circumstance with pure motives and with the perfection in our, in our thinking of doing all the calculus and making sure we wind up with the best outcomes. It's not about that. Lord, thank you that you were the one who fixed your eyes on the cross, Jesus, and you went to it. You were not sidetracked, though evil tried to pull you every which direction. Thank you that you did it because you loved us. It wasn't just wisdom. You loved us. So, Lord, we fix our eyes on you. Lead us. Keep us. Sustain us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.